How do you sleep at night? Bailey Lobb is a sculptor, a sculptor who's exploring the use of sensory supports to develop what she calls non-pharmaceutical sleep aids. And you can get involved. Showing work this month at the Nelson Arts Festival, Lobb's sculpture is uniquely tactile and encourages visitors to physically interact with it. You can spend some time standing, sitting or even sleeping inside her sculptures. Bailey creates art that's been informed by her own invisible disabilities, fibromyalgia and autism. She plays in her work with light, colour and space. And I caught up with Bailey ahead of the show and I started by asking Bailey how indeed she sleeps. So I sleep with great difficulty. Um, I have... I feel a combative relationship with sleep. Right. Um, and I think of it as kind of hard one. So has that always been the case or is it something you've always. encountered as an adult? Really? Always. Ever since I was really little. When I was a small child, if I couldn't sleep, I would get up and um, clean my room or move things around or read. There was often mum coming in late at night, catching me with the light on, <laughs> reading a book. <laughs> so yeah, sleep's been like a lifelong challenge for me. And some of that is sensory. Some of it is because I just naturally sleep at funny times. I'm very good at sleeping with the light on. Ah. Excellent at sleeping during the day. Excellent at sleeping in galleries then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to give it a go. I don't know if I will get to sleep in each of the performances, but there are multiple performances at all different times. So so this is your show coming up at uh, the Refinery Art Space in Nelson. Yes. You've got performance times. So, yeah, talk us through, talk us through the performance <laughs> if you're going to be awake enough to remember it. The uh, installation piece is called How Do You Sleep at Night? And I've created all of these uh, sensory and sleep supports to try and give me the best sleep experience possible. Ah. And so during the performance, I'll be moving through the gallery to collect these pieces um, and create an ideal sleeping nook for myself (laughs) and then attempting to go to sleep in the gallery. So so what are the pieces? So they kind of fall into two categories, um, one of them being the like physical supports that I lie on. I've created some soft soft sculptures uh, that actually mirror the shape of my body so that when I'm lying down, I'm still in alignment. Um, I have great difficulty getting comfortable at yes, night, yes. and I'm a uh, wriggler, so these are kind of designed to create a posture of comfort straight away. Um, and then the other category of objects is sensory, so um, that's the weighted blanket, which is um, beaded, so it's got glass beads right. on each of the stitches, um, and then there's also uh, squishy things got earplugs to drown out any sound whatsoever, Um, sleep masks, kind of things to tie back my hair and create so there's nothing touching me aside from the things that I want to be touching. I guess, so back to my original question, are you you using these things at home? Are you trying them at home? If you have trouble (laughs) sleeping, one would imagine that the first place you'd be doing this is at home, right? Yeah, so um, I do sleep with earplugs every night. Mm. Um, I sleep with a sleep mask not every night, some nights. It just depends on how my day has been. 
if I've had a day filled with lots of really bright stimuli, like maybe I've been outside all day, then I will use the eye mask um, just to give some sensory relief from that visual stimulation. Yeah. Weighted blanket, yes, only at certain times of year, though it can be really warm. <laughs> In the summertime, if I'm using it, I only use that. I can't use any additional linen, so it's quite disruptive for my partner. <laughs> and a normal bed? Do you sleep in a normal... I'd yes, say a normal bed, but I what's normal? I do sleep in a standard bed. Um <laughs> But I'm quite fussy about the mattress and the sheets and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm definitely 100% cotton on the sheets. And when we bought our most recent mattress, I said we had to get memory foam um, because it's just a little bit easier oh, yeah, to get I'm comfortable I'm, I'm really enjoying the memory foam. I've gone to that in the last few years. <laughs> <laughs> They're really good. Um, and I know they can be a little bit warmer, but just... The other benefits they give, it's just enormous. So, yeah, so I'm very fussy about the bed. No, no, this is good. Well, I guess the question then is, is uh, I, I'm really interested in this idea of thinking around all of these aids as sculpture and also sculpture that people can participate in, the, the tactile. What is it that makes it art for you? I think it's just the really kind of close examination of the subject. For me, it's it's hard to separate things because I use my art as a way to understand how to support myself with my disability and then that comes out in the art so often when I've been when I make an artwork I've been thinking about these ideas in my personal life for a long time and at some point I start thinking about kind of the furthest I could push that piece (laughs) to make the optimal situation and that's where it starts to go into the territory of artwork. You know, it's unlikely that I'm ever going to get to the point where I have a bed that has a hole carved into it for my shoulder. (laughs) (laughs) But in the gallery context, I can do that. Yes. And I can really experiment in a way that's, you know, kind of like the furthest, most optimal iteration of what sleep support looks like. I'm interested in, you know, you, you raise your disability. I was talking to Henrietta Bollinger about a new book she's got called Articulations on the radio recently on Culture 101. And, you know, it's thinking around this whole idea of abilities and disabilities and how you take what are your disabilities as your strengths as a way of of doing things for all of us, that, you know, that you share your strengths in a way. It seems to me that's what you're doing. Definitely, um, Yeah. And, and, and making um, the gallery space more accessible. I mean, when I think of a gallery, I think of a very hard, cold, white space. Whereas, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe we could uh, get you to describe in Bathing Basque the work that you've been touring that's part of this show as well. You're, you're almost doing the something which is the antithesis in terms of welcoming people more into a space, yes? Yes, I mean, it's definitely um, more welcoming. It, it's kind of almost like, playground and that's deliberate so I I started working on in bathing basque after living in flats for a long time where I didn't get to control the interior and I hadn't realized how much I was missing color so these works are really colorful and they don't have the kind of traditional rectilinear shape of the the spaces that we live in day to day, they're the opposite of white cubes, aren't they? Because they they're, they're, they're soft, 
blobs that one can inhabit. They're actually inflated, aren't they? They have. I yeah. Because I've seen the work at uh, Toy Pornicky in Wellington previously. It's uh, yeah, they're, they're they're beautiful pods. Yeah, I call them my bubbles. Bubbles. Um, and they yeah, so there's basically these uh, big bubble shapes that inflate and they sit on the floor, and you can unzip them and go inside. And they're for self-regulation, so for basically giving a space where you can regulate your nervous system, give yourself a break from the outside world. The fans inside give kind of a bit of white noise, but it's quite gentle. And that because there's no divide between the floor, the walls and the ceiling, the space kind of becomes quite... I don't know what the word is, just like <laughs> quite all-encompassing and it feels like you're just in the colour. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, I mean, you've shown those works in Australia and Queenstown and Auckland and Wellington. I mean, you're there and now in Nelson. Um, do people sleep in them? Have, have you had that experience? Because you're really encouraging people to, to break all the rules in a way in a gallery yeah. space. So um, I, when I talk to the gallery staff about these works, I always say to them, before you shut down the gallery at the end of the day, you have to physically check inside all of the works. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that is because there has been someone who nearly got locked in the gallery overnight. Oh. Um, and they were very quiet. They were having a very soothing time. Um, and they they didn't respond when the gallery attendant called out to, you know, to kind of let people know that they were closing up. And it was only because there was a little giggle um, (laughs) (laughs) that the gallery attendant realised. That was actually in Nelson at the Refinery Art Space. So um, they've had experience with these types of works before. But yeah, ever after, I have always said, please just look inside them. Just double check. And this colour, I mean, the colour is an important part of this, right? Is it certain colours? Do you have a sort of a, you know, a lot of artists believe in the power of different colour in different ways. Is that a big part of your art practice? Colour is a huge part of my art practice. I grew up in a really colourful family. My mum's actually an interior designer, so oh. we had a hugely oh, colourful Now, isn't house. that interesting? Because you've sort of turned into a sort of creative interior designer, right? <laughs> yeah, it's a very... Um, I mean, I, I think that I was raised to be an artist. But yeah, colour is hugely important. I'm probably... I'm very deliberate about the colours that I use. I do a lot of testing because all of my works are hand-dyed. So there's a lot of testing to get the right colour. But that colour is right because of how I feel about it. It's not right because of the associations with the colour necessarily. Because at the end of the day, for me, it's an experiment. So using different colours gives the audience a different experience of what it feels like to be completely submerged in that colour. And Mm. for some people, they will come in and they will have a really strong response to one particular colour, and they'll hate all the others. And then other people will, you know, not be really sure about which colour they like. Oh, so it's the options that you give. What what are the colours that you'll have in Nelson, for example? So in Bathing Basque has four colours. There is... An orange one, 
uh, hot pink, which I personally can't stand being inside. (laughs) (laughs) David Seymour can go in that one. Um, There is a yellow one, and that's kind of quite a warm yellow, and then a violet. So that is quite a deep blue, right Mm. on the cusp between blue and purple. What's your favourite? My favourite one is the orange one. Ah, but it's also to do with the shape for me, that one, because that one is designed for sitting. So they also it's also an experiment with the scale and the shape. So big blue is the biggest one, um, and that one feels like possibility for me. That space just feels really expansive and like I could really think and really come up with great ideas in there. <laughs> and, I mean, are these colours totally abstract or are they representational in some way? I mean, we think about blue, we think of, you know, the Moana, don't we? We think of the ocean to a degree, but it could be the sky or it could be anything, right? Yeah, well, this colour, I didn't come up with the colours based on references to anything, but being inside Big Blue reminds me of being outside under the stars in a place with very little light pollution. <laughs> Where you get that real glow coming from the stars. Mm. That's what it reminds me of. Mm. And it would remind other people of lots of other things. Um, I had a a good friend do a yoga class inside the work when it was at Tuiponaki. And she had a lot of references in that class to birds because the work reminded her of flying. So, yeah, different people have different associations, and I'm quite open to that. For me, a huge part of the experiment is about people considering and working out how they respond to colour personally, because I don't think we do a very good job of using colour in our personal spaces. Right. And it's so good for us to use colour. Like, everybody has a response to colour. Yeah. And it can do really wonderful things for our lives if we use it in our own environments. And that's really the conversation that these works are hoping to kind of start in people is, wow, that yellow work made me feel really good. Maybe I should incorporate more yellow into my home. It's interesting the relationship between your work and science and one, you know, like the art of sleeping and so forth. We could talk about maybe later, touch on <laughs> if you want. But also, of course... I guess what gets called crudely industrial design, but you know it's like I'm, and I see that you have you do do professional advisory work in terms of creating sensory friendly workspaces, which is a really interesting topic. I mean, do you see this as possibly leading to, you know, mass production of kinds of objects that might make the world easier for people, or is it? Do you see yourself always being an artist? I see my career trajectory as primarily being an artist. But I also do think that there is a whole avenue out there for this kind of work. And I would love to collaborate with people who are doing doing that because I think, one, there's not enough of it. Like, so many of our spaces are just not friendly spaces. And there's a huge amount of work to be done to create those spaces. And I definitely see that my art can fit into that in lots of different ways. Because <laughs> I almost imagine that the best place for these these bubbles 
isn't in a gallery, but could be in a you know in a work work environment where people get to you know to really use them. I could really see them going down well here at Radio New Zealand, for example. So the first one I ever made was when I was living in Sydney, and that was exhibited in an um, art workspace. So it was a ah. a company that had a small gallery, but they also had offices, and they had the work for six weeks in their gallery. And they had their team meetings in it every day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I definitely think that for, you know, organisations that are looking at public artworks for for their spaces, that my work could be hugely beneficial to their teams. So, yeah, there is definitely a wider application. But I also am maybe not necessarily of the belief that art has to stay in the gallery. I have a small one of these that I sometimes get out at home. Right. Um, and for me, being able to do that and having the flexibility to change my environment really quickly is amazing. So yeah, I, I mean, can also see it being beneficial I mean, for just people. I mean, you know, we live busy lives and more urban lives. We don't. We can't necessarily go and lie under the under the stars of a dark night mm. easily, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It seems your work is kind of responding. To that kind of hyper-urban work environment in a way, maybe? Yeah, it's definitely an environment that I struggle with more than um, more than other environments. And mm. I need this kind of regulatory space much mm. more when I'm living in cities. Can I talk about touch? Because we haven't really talked about touch yet, no. but it seems like the intelligence of touch is a big part of your work, which I think is wonderful. And, and, and how how smart... You know, all these senses are that we have, these nerve endings we have. Again, the gallery, we were brought up not to touch objects in the gallery, I think. Yeah, how, how big is touch for you with, with your art? Touch is super important to me in, in all facets of life, but especially in the arts. I am the sneaky person in galleries who will touch things when <laughs> I'm not supposed to. Um, and, and that's really... Um, Fundamentally, it comes down to, for me, bridging a gap of understanding. So I struggle to understand um, works of art when I can't understand the materiality of them. I'm very materially driven. And so understanding what, you know, that fluffy sculpture over there feels like (laughs) is very important for me in understanding the work itself. So... All of the work in the show is touchable. I don't actually think I've made anything ever that wasn't touchable. <laughs> yeah. And and it's partly for me because of that gap of understanding that I have, that where I can't understand without touching, because I think that if I'm going to touch everything, I should give other people the permission to touch everything. But it's also because when you touch things and engage with them physically, it creates a really different type of engagement with the work. You're engaging with multiple senses at once. And my works are very multisensory. You've got, you know, you touch them. You can also hear them a lot of the time. Um, You're obviously, you know, immersed in it so you, you can be seeing it. And it's very different to experience a work that way than it is just by looking at it. Yeah, so it's very important to me because I'm I'm naughty and I touch everything. 
<laughs> well, it makes me very exciting for the future of contemporary art, really. I mean, I kind of go, why aren't we? Why are we still having so much trouble with providing? those tactile experiences where at least the curator would say, okay, I'm going to make this object touchable or this thing that people can come in, not just for those who have sight issues Mm. or sensory issues, but for everyone, right? Yeah, I think a lot of people view it as a slippery slope. Ah. Um, (laughs) So I've been in exhibitions where my work's been the only work that you're allowed to touch and people do find it very confusing that you're allowed to touch that one work. Um, so I do think a lot of people are like, oh, well, you know, if we let you touch this one, then do we have to let you touch everything else? And, you know, I don't think you have to, but I do think there should be more tactile exhibitions out there. A lot of the time in, when I'm exhibiting with other works that they don't have touch as part of the work, there will be signage to indicate that you can touch this thing. Yeah. But I always think kids do it right. When you see kids go into a gallery, they tear around. Yeah. They look at the things they're allowed to look at and not touch, and then they immediately go inside my work. <laughs> <laughs> so they like have an understanding that this object clearly has a zip on the side. It is obviously able to be touched. Um, and I do think that working in textiles makes a huge difference as well because we are used to touching textiles every day. There's not a single day that goes by where we don't touch textile. So it is naturally quite a haptic material that we reach out to. Yeah, the same time with our kind of consumer capitalist culture, as we like to call it, you know, with cheaper fabrics, multiple things, you know, the the tactile thing gets lost. So the Mm. ability to, to go into a gallery or a space and actually really enjoy the richness of touch you know what I mean? We, we, we've lost we've lost some of the tactility, the the, yeah. the complexity of the tactility of our of our mass made pro- objects, haven't we? We have, and we also don't understand the value of the cloth as much as we used to. Yeah. I grew up sewing and come from a very handmade kind of background, so for me, cloth is very important, and working with it as my primary material, I do have that sense you know, where I'm make like the the cloth itself becomes something different. It has its own personality. Yeah. The work that I'm making with How Do You Sleep at Night is um, cotton velvet. Wow. And that has a completely different personality to the works from In Bathing Basque, which is made from nylon. They just respond differently to curvature and to stretch and... Um, they feel completely different on the hand as well. So it's, yeah, cloth to me has personality. And I think a lot a lot of people forget about that. I want to finish by going back to sleeping and your, your, your upcoming performances. So you're going to get some sleep in the gallery? How's it going to work? Are you staying <laughs> overnight or is it just during periods? Are we going to come in and find you asleep? What, how, how's it going to work? Um, so it's probably more akin to a nap. So there are designated performance times uh, where I'll come in and I will do my uh, nightly routine. So part of that is getting rid of any excess energy in my body that shouldn't be there for sleeping um, and then selecting the objects that I need to relax for sleep right now. Um, And that will vary performance to performance. And then I will lie down and attempt to sleep. And I think that I'll probably have more luck during the day. Oh. Yeah. It's it's funny, but I am 
you know, right now, this is the best sleep I've ever had in my life at this age. (laughs) (laughs) But I've always been able to sleep during the day much better than at night. And so I expect that the times that I am successful will be the daytime performances. It just, yeah, to me that feels a little more likely. (laughs) That was Bailey Lobb there who debuts her new work, How Do You Sleep at Night at the Refinery Arts Space in Nelson from the 19th to the 28th of October.